0: Hey everyone, welcome to Formula What, your latest and greatest podcast for the most fascinating and uninformed opinions, recap, and analysis of this week's Grand Prix. When we did the original recording earlier today, I did not have my coffee, and I messed up the intro and the episode count, so I'm re-recording it, but thanks for listening, and I'm going to hand it off to the original recording now. (laughs) Griffo here, uh, recovered from COVID um, at a undisclosed location uh, on vacation, a little bit closer to the actual Grand Prix. So time-wise, it was actually a little bit more convenient to catch the footage, which was nice. Um, but here we are remotely connecting with us as well. The man that follows every F1 gossip Twitter and website that is our inside source uh, from the outside, Gustav Ulström. And also with us, the, he may not know the difference between a control arm and a tie rod end, but he is our go-to for talking about the mind games and psychology of the characters of the Beth one. Jared Meters. So guys, uh, week three, the Australian Grand Prix at Albert Park racetrack, a little bit different this year. They they've made a few changes to the track, which I thought were kind of cool. A little side note, <clears throat> having, played formula one games, um, for like 20 years, I uh, probably have raced the, the top three racetracks I've raced in, in air quotes, uh, would be Monaco. Cause it's cool. And it's always fun to drive that track. Uh, Monza because it's the easiest and fastest. And then Albert park, because it's oftentimes been the the start of the season, and so when I played season mode, that was always the race you started. And then I abandoned many seasons uh, during video game play because i doing terrible. But uh, that track, very well known, uh, also very well known by the drivers. Uh, but we haven't been there for a few years, right? COVID took away the Australian Grand Prix for a couple of years, so it was kind of nice to return to Australia. I think everyone had a good time, like a, a pretty positive environment going into race weekend. what you guys think of? Uh, the return to australia
1: well i think uh speaking for myself at least and maybe jared as well as uh to you know drive to survive converts to formula one this was actually the first time uh i'd watched one of the races there um you know in full saw some of the highlights from previous editions but yeah i thought it was a great race uh, overall it was exciting to see the drivers on you know a new track so it wasn't well the updated track as you mentioned so Even though they were familiar with it, there was still some additional learning they seemed to be doing. We saw a few of them going off on one of the adjusted turns a few times throughout practice and qualifying as well. So, um, yeah, I thought it was an exciting place to be racing. And, yeah, cool to
2: see all the Australian fans out there as well. I think it was apparently one of the most attended Grand Prixs ever. Yeah, I always get excited when there are home races. A little bit of extra pressure on Danny Ricardo. And I always think that adds a fun element.
0: Yeah, I think the Australians really were excited, like you said, Gustav. Um, you know, they had been missing their Grand Prix. They haven't had a lot of their big events for a couple of years now, so this was really a coming out party for them. So uh, it was neat to see the crowds and everything. Funny you mentioned that about the going off. You know, you got some of these guys could drive these tracks blindfolded, right? Um, and I, I think back to when Jared blindfolded himself and and. Trace the outline of a, uh, of a crit course that he's done a thousand plus laps on and almost nailed it perfectly. That's what these guys could do. Right. And so you got to wonder if some of that muscle memory is difficult to retrain like, Hey, there used to be a chicane here. Now it's like a sweeping turn or, you know, here's a little sharper turn. And, um, that's kind of funny to see, see that happen. Well, race recap, quick, uh, qualifying. Um, I actually didn't write down the qualifying results. Anybody remember the qualifying results off the top of their head? Obviously, Claire was P one. Um, anyone remember what P two and P three were?
1: I think it was Max, then Checo, then
0: uh, I want to say Lando, Lewis, and then George. Interesting. And then the one note, which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit more. What I uh, what I did see was with um, qualifying, Alonso actually had, was purple in yeah. sector one and sector two and then botched Sector 3 or whatever you want to call it, um, which was a shame. Like it was on pace to have taken pole, which would have been amazing, um, but, but the Sector 3 time uh, went down, down the tubes for him. Apparently
1: that uh, afterwards they found out it was actually not his fault. His car, like the engine actually died or had a hydraulics issue or something, just as he came into that corner where a lot of people having running wide and going off into the gravel a little bit. And as it shut down, he couldn't, you know, his engine braking wasn't working, so he just came in with way too much speed and went straight into the wall there. Wow! But otherwise, yeah, I mean, it was a flawless lap from him. So super bummed to see, yeah, that he went down the order after that.
2: That also put out signs he, when because he couldn't get his fast lap in.
1: Yeah, the red flag caught him right
2: at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah, two 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 potentially really well positioned racers affected there.
0: Once again, our. Inside Man boost with the, uh, the juicy tidbits.
1: That said, I just want to say uh, my my juicy tidbits uh, didn't did not work out in terms of the Mercedes upgrades that I had uh, heard rumors about for this weekend. They they were one of the only teams that didn't bring any upgrades whatsoever. Um, I think a lot of the teams did bring you know some minor updates that probably didn't actually make a big difference, but Mercedes was on the exact same uh, car as they had in the previous
0: two Grand Prix. Makes you wonder then maybe if they're, they're cooking up something even bigger. All right. And then, of course, for the podium, um, Ferrari dominating again, Leclerc with the win, Perez in second, and George Russell with his first podium for Mercedes uh, in third place there. Uh, pretty exciting podium. Uh, and, of course, that's the top three. You, you compare that against the qualifying results. Clearly, there were some adventures and, and interesting happenings, uh, which we'll dig into. Um, but my main takeaway of the race was that, uh, very exciting to get back to Australia and really the, the main takeaway that I'm, I'm going to throw out there is we are in the era of Ferrari again, uh, Ferrari is, is, is just, they're not making mistakes. Uh, Claire is, is clearly, uh, taking a commanding lead in the driver's championship, uh, Ferrari is in the lead in the constructors championship three races in, you know, long season, but Right now, who can beat them?
2: I mean, yeah, the car is the cars just on another level, too. I mean, even when uh, Verstappen was still in the race, uh, Leclerc was just putting time into him.
1: Yeah, I thought uh, there was a new stat that uh, I was made aware of after this race, which this was Charles Leclerc's first Grand Slam, which is apparently where the uh, driver takes pole, win, uh, fastest lap, and leads every lap of the race. Uh, and it's apparently obviously very rare that uh, people do succeed in getting grand slams. Um, and I think also for something like the last uh, decade or so, uh, each season where a driver has gotten one, they've gone on to win the championship. Um, so, I mean, clearly it shows, yeah, like you were saying, uh, just Ferrari dominance this weekend and uh, it doesn't look like that's going to be stopping anytime soon going forward, especially with some of the reliability concerns that we saw um, show up with Red Bull again, uh, with Max being DNF once again, this,
0: uh, you know, only in the third race of the season. All right, let's let's do our rapid fire round that we hear from the tens of listeners is one of their favorite segments. Uh, who met expectations? Gustav, go first. Who met your expectations?
1: Um, I'll start off by saying Aston Martin. Um, they started the weekend off terribly. Uh they had multiple crashes throughout, um, you know, fp one and fp 2 uh, or, you know, other reliability concerns. Uh, and then so when we came to qualifying, they were working on repairing both cars. I don't think Lance Stroll even made it out of the garage, if I remember correctly. And or no, he, he did. But then he he uh, had a little bit of an incident where he let uh, he, he went by Nicholas Latifi and then the two Canadians came together after Lance Stroll slowed down right after going past him and then crashed into him. So that was uh yeah, definitely controversial for them. The red flag after that actually managed to give them time to fix Sebastian Vettel's car. And then he, you know, qualified, I think 18th or something like that. So terrible start to the weekend. And then in the race Vettel had a, had a crash stroll came, I think 12th or something like that. So he was out of the points as
0: well. Uh, he did pick up some penalty points though. So I guess maybe not completely pointless weekend for them. <laughs> Well, and depending on how you look at it, a bit of a, a highlight might have been Sebastian Vettel driving his scooter around to do a recon lap since his car was like inoperable or something like that. that I think the fans got kicked out of that, though he did get fined for that
2: apparently. Yeah, 5,000 euros. 5,000, yeah.
0: Yeah, which is kind of funny.
2: For me, meeting expectations, Leclerc, I mean, it's hard to you know take the grand slam and have that meeting expectations, but those are the expectations he's kind of created for himself at this point. And then Mercedes, I think met expectations. You know, they've got a, a car that's not quite on the the top end, but they're doing the most with it, which is what we'd expect out of those two drivers.
0: Yeah. You took mine as well. I mean, I, I wrote down Claire and, and I think again, it's early in the season, but that's where we are right now. We're just like, Hey, we're expecting to see them perform at the top and, and execute well. and And that's what they're doing. Now, as far as exceeded, I'll go first. Um, I, I put down Alonzo and, you know, clearly we just mentioned like he he was on the, the pace to, to set a pole lap and, and where would that have put him, of course, in the race? Well, probably pretty damn high, right? So that was a shame. Of course, that didn't work out, but he had a good finish. And, you know, I think that was a little bit on, un- at least on my radar, it was unexpected. I mean, he's obviously still got a ton of talent, maybe a, The fire has even been stoked a little bit more this year because the car is doing a little bit better than it has in the past. So that was pretty, pretty cool to see.
1: Yeah, I would say definitely a great point about Alonzo. But for me, the the team who exceeded the expectations the most are actually McLaren, from my point of view. Um, You know, they've been way down at the back, uh, I think literally running last at some points in uh, the earlier two races. Um, but here they ended up finishing fifth and sixth and it's a solid chunk of points for a team that, you know, genuinely thought they were towards the back of the midfield. So, I mean, it remains to be seen if this was, you know, just a course specific run of luck here and maybe they'll be back towards the back again at the next race. As I mentioned earlier, I don't think they've really brought any major upgrades to their car, but either way it was a great race for the, the two uh, McLaren drivers. And I think, you know, Daniel Ricardo, as you said, was probably super happy to, be you know not as high up as i'm sure he would have wanted to be but at least you know up there in the points uh, at his home race
2: yeah i don't i don't know what changes they made to the car but you know to be fifth and sixth after being well out of the points is pretty impressive change so i i agree with you 100 they exceeded expectations the other one that i would mention is alex galbon they raced really strategically right he started on some hard tires and pitted on the last lap in order to milk one point out of a car that probably no one expected them to get points with. So he exceeded expectations.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. Now, the flip side, coming up short, I had a couple contenders here, um, but I'm just going to go ahead and go up with uh, you know Max and, and Red Bull. To have a, a DNF like that uh, after a great qualifying, that's quite a blow. It's got to be something. I'm sure Horner's pulling his hair out right now their uh, back factory, they're wondering what's going on. It is weird too, that it's for stopping and not the other car that has had the two DNFs. Um, I'm sure there's some conspiracy theorists wondering what's going on there. Are they gonna swap cars? What's going on? Is one one cursed? Uh, I actually did not even hear what the actual issue was that, that made the engineers tell them to pull, pull over. Uh, Gustav, you're the inside man. Did you, uh, what, what was the technical issue? I'm not entirely
1: sure. It sounds like they're not 100% sure either. But uh, they actually, after the race, I think Helmut Marco said something about maybe something in the fuel line again. So it sounds like it's not actually the engine, but something along the fuel system, which I think sounded like was also somewhat related to the first issue, you know, not exactly the same, but in the same vicinity of the car, at least. So definitely, you know, something to watch going forward, um, as it seems like something's clearly, you know, plaguing them in terms of their connection there.
2: I mean, you could hear uh, Verstappen on the radio said he could smell. I think he said he smelled a liquid or something, you know, so it sounded like something sprung a leak and they immediately started looking for a fire, too. So and they knew something, something leaked and something was going on. It it seemed like they had a really good idea of what might have happened right away.
1: I really enjoyed the slow-mo shot of Verstappen waving the fire extinguisher guy over. He was like, come on, like, don't stand around there. I need this put out now.
2: Yeah, I did think that showed, you know, some pretty cool composure. I don't like to compliment Verstappen if I can avoid it, but he had a lot of composure when he got out of the car, immediately looked for the a fire or the problem, directed the, you know, fire suppression to the right place. I, I, I don't know. I I always like when guys have their heads about him, even though he seems like he whines and complains a lot, he has a good focus.
0: All right, who else has a, a- are we all going to say Red Bull and, and Max, or anyone else have a come up short? Yeah, I've got one. I of course
1: agree with Red Bull and Max, but uh, I'd also like to highlight Haas um, after seeing them have a uh, you know pretty amazing first two races um, with uh, Kevin Magnuson getting points in both of those and uh, Mick being you know pretty close at least in the first one. He didn't race in the second one after his qualifying crash. It was a little surprising to see them both out out of the points this race. And although you know there were some exciting moments with Kevin Magnuson, again, getting up there and getting a little bit racy with some other drivers uh, and having a little escapade across the grass at one point. Yeah, he ended up finishing, I think, actually just behind Mick uh, in like 13th or 14th. So hopefully they'll bounce back at the next one. But yeah, definitely they were a little further down than I was expecting after their first success.
2: Signs, not finishing. That's disappointment for Ferrari, no matter what. Um I agree with you 100% about Kevin Magnuson. Well, him in particular, you know, he's set these high expectations for driving that car really well and then to be so far down is probably a little bit disappointing. And then someone's like consistently disappointed me is Yuki Tsunoda. I mean, he's complains about the car all the time, complains about the car, but Gasly's driving it well until it breaks down and he he was in the points. So, you know, Yuki Tsunoda is a little bit of a disappointment to me.
1: I wonder maybe he didn't have a nice poo before his massage
0: before the race. Right. <laughs> he, he's uh he's a character and uh, yeah. definitely adds a, a character element to the grid right now. But what's your point on, on the results, backing up some of the complaining is a, is a good one as well. Yeah. And I don't know where this fits in, if it's coming up short or exceeding, but uh, we haven't talked much about it uh, yet. Like, there's that pack of, of the mid-packers, right, the, the behinders, the, the tail end. Um, you know, Botas, I thought, raced pretty well, but uh, he's got to be a little frustrated um, that maybe it's it's he's not quite performing as he would probably like, um, so I'm wondering what's going through his mind these days.
1: Quick note on Botas. Botas actually ended his run of consecutive uh, Q3s from qualifying this race, unfortunately, where he just missed getting into the top 10. I think, um, can't remember, I think qualified 11th or 12th, something
2: like that. It's like over a hundred races, right?
1: Yeah. So I think it, it started in like 2017 when he joined Mercedes at some point there and have been running for, yeah, I guess, you know, five six years, whatever it is now, a little disappointing to see that, but, um, yeah, he fought back in the race to get some points
0: at least. Yeah. Okay. That's a really good point. That wasn't what I was going to say. Um, but that, I loved, I loved the little statistics like that. So glad you brought that up. So yeah, it came up a little short, but, the flip side, again, as you just said, was able to claw himself back into the points, which was pretty exciting. What I was going to mention about uh, botas was he had a bit of. A, I mean, they, these guys were all traveling all over the place, right? But he, of course, was at Flanders, uh, supporting his uh, uh, better half. Let's say um, at the uh, maybe one of the greatest cycling races in the world, the Tour of Flanders. Saw some pictures of him on the side of the road out there in the cold and and everything. So you know, he, he did that and then. Hopped on his jet, I suppose, and, and flew down to Australia. It had a few, you know, it wasn't like back to back or whatever, right? But uh, you know, he's a busy man, so hopefully he's not too distracted and keeps the fire in the belly.
1: While we're on the topic of Flanders, can we have a quick digression to talk about when we saw that, that finish where uh, uh, Matthew Vanderpool slowed down and Pogachar was, you know, sitting right on his wheel? It just reminded me of the you know quote from Formula One coverage at the end of the 2016 season where. Lewis, to win the championship, had to have Nico Rosberg finish, you know, three or four places behind him. So Lewis slowed up a ton, and Rosberg was in second place right behind him, trying to get the gap to the cars behind to get smaller and smaller so they could try to overtake Rosberg. And I think the quote was like, oh, he's backing him up, trying to get the other cars to pass. And I thought that was, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know how much of that was going through Vanderpool's head, but just seeing this images and then the two, two riders behind coming to catch him gave me a parallel to that uh, that coverage. <laughs>
0: The other parallel is, uh, since you brought it up, it's like they were trying to get into each other's DRS zones in that straightaway, right, <laughs> yeah. to the, the finish, right? Who, 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 and I'm not sure uh, if they were executing that right. But, uh, yeah, we might have to start the second po- podcast on, on on some of the classic cycling races, but it's fun to tie those in as well. Speaking of favorite moments, uh, that's our last uh, rapid-fire round question. Favorite moment of the race. So I had two and I couldn't quite decide, um, but I'm going to go with the mean one, and that is my favorite moment. Was um, Max for stopping being forced to retire? Now it's not particularly. I don't, you know, have the cold white hatred that perhaps Jared seems to have for him, <laughs> um, but it's more of just from the standpoint of like, wow, this really jolts the entire season. I mean, now you're talking the reigning Formula One drivers champion as DNF twice out of three races. Don't even know where he is in the standings for points right now. I think the quote afterwards, like he doesn't even want to think about it. Um, a lot of racing left, so who knows what can happen, but it certainly jolts that red bull, of course, on the back foot for the constructors championship as well. So just from a pure like drama standpoint, there was that I will add my, my secondary one was, you know, near the end when Hamilton was behind, uh, George Russell, right. And the racing and I'm like, it looked like hamilton could probably catch him and possibly overtake him were team orders going to come into effect and which way would they go i was very curious about that it seemed like there were none and and they just let it race and and hamilton was like hey i probably can't pass them and didn't try uh, to force that issue Um, or russell just had much better base but that was a pretty cool moment as well
1: so two things i'll say before i mention my favorite moment was one in terms of that hamilton russell thing i saw after the race there was an article where apparently Hamilton came on the radio and complained at some point, saying like, "You know, hey man, you guys put me in a bad spot." And it turns out the issue was that his, uh, you know, he, something was overheating. I'm not sure if it was the tires or the engine. So basically, they told him not to really try to contest too much with Russell. But I was also watching that gap seeming to get smaller and smaller between the two of them there, and was hoping to see what would happen. So uh, maybe we'll see them get into you know a serious race at some point coming up here.
2: To to that point, I had heard he had a blister on one of his tires and they were worried about him pushing it too much.
1: Yeah, and then the other thing I was going to say in terms of Max is the standings and the points. Uh, I was fascinated to see where some of the points are right now, and obviously Charles is leading and has the biggest points gap. He has a bigger points gap now than anybody did last season at any point, uh, 34, whereas last year the wow. biggest points gap was 33 points between uh, Max and Lewis. And then Max is down sixth place now in terms of points, behind Lewis, who's in fifth. And uh, George Russell is actually P2 in the driver's championship. So definitely not at all what you'd expect based on, you know, how fast the cars are when, when they're functioning correctly,
0: but just goes to show how reliability is important. And, and yeah, who would have expected three races into the season that you'd have Verstappen and Hamilton uh, that far down the yeah. driver's championship, right?
2: That part makes it a little bit more fun and interesting. I think.
0: Definitely. What was your favorite moment, Jared?
2: Probably uh, Alex Albon waiting till the very last lap to to pit and holding on for a point. I just like to see a little bit of racecraft, you know, come together. They really, really milked everything that they could. He did a good job, and I so I, I guess I enjoyed I enjoyed that little aspect of what was all in all. And I, I agree a hundred percent. You know, seeing Verstappen have to stop always, you know, makes me grin a little bit, but. I think it would be entertaining to see him have a race where he struggles, but it seems like he's so good. The car, if the car is good, there's a race to be had for him. The car fails. He DNFs.
1: Yeah. I agree with your favorite moment being the, the Albin hitting on the second to last lap or last lap, whatever it was and coming in for that one point. And I remember, I remember, the commentators were saying, like, oh, it's going to be really close. Is he going to come out in 10th or 11th? And they didn't show him after he came out of the pits at all, but I was just watching, like, the timing screen on the, the left-hand side there and saw it come down to, like, two-tenths or something between him, and I don't even know who was behind him in 11th.
2: Zo, I think? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know how much How much was it? How, how much did he have 10th by?
1: Um, I don't know when he crossed the finish line, but I know at one point I saw it said, like, 0.2 something. So, like, it was a very close
2: gap at some point throughout that. Nice. I definitely heard on race radio, they were stoked with their one point, which is always awesome. Yeah. Hey,
0: I mean, there's a, somewhere there's a calculation what one driver or one constructor's point or driver's point is worth in terms of money. And and there's a, it's not a trivial thing, you know, in terms of what these teams uh, take in. And, you know, he's a, Albon, he's a, a guy, I think that the Netflix show, made kind of a sympathetic character like he's definitely had a lot of challenges that let's say are political the nature of formula 1 you know certainly as a driver and his results you know that plays into it as well but uh, my perception is that uh, it was nice to see the guy uh, a team pull out every little trick in the book to to get him a point right I and mean, that helps the team of course as well well any any other final thoughts on the race or should we turn to uh predictions for next two weeks
2: just one thing that I I I noticed and I thought was entertaining in the middle of the race um Lance Stroll had the midfield like completely bottled up for so long you know there were like six or seven cars behind him just dying to get by and they couldn't get by you can see the frustration and I, I thought that made for a little bit more you know engaging aspect of the racing
0: I mean, who, who wants to pass him, right? Like the
2: fear right. of trying to pass him.
0: My favorite part of that was
1: there was a moment in that train where Alonso had come into the pits. And so he was back stuck in the middle of that. And uh, he comes on the radio and says, who's in the Alpha Atari behind uh, Stroll? And then he, the guy, you know, his engineer responded, oh, that's Pierre Gasly. And he was like, why doesn't he pass Stroll? He was all upset and was, you know, hoping to get moving in front of Lance, but. He was holding everybody up. And that was the other thing I was going to add, which is that uh, now after Williams getting that one point, uh, Aston Martin is the only team with not a single point this year. So who knows where things will go going ahead, but that point could be very valuable for Williams in the driver standing later on.
0: Yeah, going forward, we may just have to add a standing um, segment to the podcast on, on the tribulations and trials of, of Aston Martin, right? Like um, clearly the dog of the field right now. And, Becoming the uh, the bad news bears, maybe not even the bad news bears, because there's like joy and hope with the bad news boys or bad news bears. I don't think there's any joy and hope in um, Austin Martin right now. <laughs> All right, well, two weeks from now uh, we're going to be back to Europe, and it is the it's a very long name uh, of the official Grand Prix and track, but everyone knows it as Monza, the home of Ferrari. Uh, which I think that's this is going to be one of those like. The Tifosi are going to be out and about Sea of Red. We're going to see a pretty big Ferrari party with, with their beloved team dominating the season so far. Uh so Jared, you talk about home races and uh the excitement around that. I think next next race is going to be something really special because of Ferrari and, and where they are right
2: now. Yeah, finally doing so well, you know, for that race. So
0: I think the
1: uh track is apparently from what I've been reading. Uh, people seem to think it's going to suit Ferrari more than uh, some of these other tracks where there's been more straights and stuff that have maybe played to Red Bull speed when they're reliable. So I think there's a good chance that uh, we could see, uh, you know, another very strong performance from Ferrari. Uh, and Hopefully Carlos Sainz will be right back up there as well. So, um, you know, who knows, maybe a one, two could be, could be on the cards for them.
2: I do want to see Sainz have a good race. You know, it's been, I mean, I guess he did at the opener, but you know, he seems like he's struggling a little bit.
0: When you get into the teammates issue, right? Like uh, they, they talk about this all the time. I'm sure they get along. They seem to get along very well personally, but it's always a blow mentally when you have a teammate that is clearly on fire and you know you can't, you can't out qualify him. You can't touch him. You're having maybe some bad luck in racing. And so, yeah, I, I think Sainz is probably a little frustrated right now trying to figure out what he's got to do to, to break the mojo that's, that's, that's going on right now. Yeah, and Emilia, you know, historic track it is. We've had three races so far. The first one in Saudi Arabia, or I mean Bahrain. I'm sorry, um, was was definitely a power track in a lot of ways. The Saudi Arabia one was a, a mix of things here. Australia clearly the horsepower is what put some, you know, like you said, Red Bull uh, back into it. Reliability didn't help, um, but that was a fast track. So yeah, Emilia is kind of now we're getting into the classic. You know formula one style this is a a, a venerable track and it'll be interesting to see these new cars you know the the bugs are being sorted out they're going to be back in europe which means they're closer to their home bases which means parts can be showing up uh you know we may see some more upgrades maybe mercedes is going to have something uh ready to roll out so it should be a pretty exciting thing
2: Uh, one thing that i'm always curious about you know with ferrari just with Leclerc having like perfection, how much do you want to change that car? As a driver, I would almost say like, just don't touch it. Like it's perfect. You know, he's really so dominant. So I do wonder how much they're, what they're going to do to it with two weeks. Do you think they'll make changes?
0: No, I think you're right. Like they're probably be a little bit conservative. My history of following the sport, usually there you know, the teams are starting to look at each other and say, what are they doing? Did they come up with a technical solution we didn't figure out? And that's why they're beating us. If you're at top, everyone else is playing catch up to you, you know, and then you may have to react to the reaction.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Christian Horner can uh, get those, the Red Bull reliability improved in the two weeks? Hard to say.
0: Yeah. I mean, we talked about this in in past episodes. Uh, They are building their own power unit. Now this is, not a small task and, and yes they inherited the previous technology and and platform from honda but uh and, and you got to assume that i don't know the details but i assume they, i mean literally engineers were hired directly from the program and stuff it's not like uh some they, honda just dropped off a bunch of engines and tools and said good luck to you but there's got to be some bumpiness to that transition i mean it just has to be and it's you know Little things. Right. And, and so that's the big question mark, I think is, you know, is this a couple of bumps, two out of three races and it'll get smoothed out or is this going to plague them? And did they make a terrible decision by trying to take on being a, a power unit constructor as well? And should they have done a customer engine? Right. You know?
2: So one, one thing I'm curious about what you guys think about for two weeks from now. What one team is going to make the biggest jump from, say, the bottom of field up or midfield to be more competitive with, say, Mercedes? I think Haas will hopefully
1: have a you know a decent weekend again with Kevin Magnussen being back up in the points at least, and you know hopefully Mick can get his first points at some point here, maybe next weekend or yeah. two weeks from now.
0: I keep looking at McLaren and just wondering is that is there something that they can do? To, to bump up, you know, they, they've got two talented drivers. We see glimmers of really good things with them. Their race pace maybe seems to be off a little bit. They're running a Mercedes customer engine. So, you know, there's some level of ceiling to that, right? But is there something in the car they can they can do to jump ahead? I mean that's you know I personally would like to see uh you know I'm a fan of McLaren I'm a fan of both those drivers. So I'm hoping they can become a little more competitive and get a little bit closer up to that be knocking on the podium door way more often.
2: Yeah, that would be
1: great. Quick note on, as we're talking about customer engines and Red Bull powertrains and all that stuff, I think it was interesting seeing people talking again about how Red Bull poached like, I think over 50 of Mercedes engine team to their new powertrains, uh, you know, factory and everything that they're setting up there. So obviously this engine is still pretty similar to the Honda one they had last year, Um, although they have had to make some changes to run like the E10 fuel this year. That's different. But I think that is something you know going forward that'll be interesting to see if that you know obviously benefits maybe Red Bull and also hurts Mercedes. And there might be kind of a double whammy in terms of the impact there as they you know keep working on the engines in the coming months and
0: years. Fifty personnel from from Mercedes. Wow. Yes. Uh, now now that adds a little insight into why uh, uh, Wolf and Corner butt heads you're poaching fifty people from staff. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. All right, as we wrap up, uh, we're going to do a new segment, so to speak, a little mini segment. Uh, So in conclusion, uh, Australian Grand Prix uh, as a race on a a scale of zero to five stars, what would you give the race overall? Gustav, what's your ranking for this week's Grand Prix? I'd
1: go three out of five stars. It was enjoyable. I wasn't finding myself bored while watching the race, but... Definitely wasn't as exciting as the previous two, I'd say, where we've had some you know, close racing for the lead uh, between Charles and Max.
2: I agree with Gustav. Three stars. <laughs> that's a reference, by the way, to Greg Herbold, I think, used to do this television show. He was a mountain biker back in the 90s, and he would rate equipment, and then, then he would give it his star rating, and that's how we do it. So that's a call out to Greg Herbold. Wow.
0: <laughs> Deep cut deep cut. Well, we have consensus because I also say three stars, uh, you know, there was definitely some nice moments again. I think the, the changes, uh, to the rules and everything allow for, you know, the overtaking, taking possibilities and, and some of the drama on track, but overall it was like clearly a step down in excitement, the just drama and, and anticipation around the first two races were super high level. Now we're settling in, you know, hopefully that the racing continues to be exciting and we don't get boring races, uh, which I know has been a formula one criticism in the past is that, Hey, you know, nothing happens on the track. It's all qualifying. That's the one thing, uh, to me, I look at Australia and, and clearly that's not the case because you look at the top six in qualifying versus, you know, the top six in, in the results. That's not the same. There was definitely a lot of changes. So I'm excited excited about uh, the return to Europe, the traditional kind of tracks there, and I think we're going to continue to see a lot of sorting out uh, amongst the teams. So looking forward to the next one. Well, I think that wraps it up for the Australian Grand Prix recap, episode three. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next time. Adios.